We're back. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. I am not Hutton. In fact, Hutton is no longer. No, he's still with us. He's still alive, but he has exited stage right. He is headed off to a charity event. I will be at the same charity event tonight. I will be speeding to get there, though, because the show must go on. I am here. I am solo. Well, I'm not solo. I've got a room full of friends around me right now on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. It's going to be a fun next couple of hours, though. We've got a lot coming your way. John McClain's going to talk NFL. John McClain of Gallery Sports coming up in about 20 minutes. We're going to get uh, weird coming up later in this hour. Also with Davey Hudson with our Let's Get Weird segment. And then in our 5 p.m. Eastern time uh, hour, the entire hour, Kurt Schilling. If you do not know who Kurt Schilling is, you're probably not a sports fan, which means you're probably not watching the show right now. I will not give you a full description other than saying Kurt Schilling, yes, that Kurt Schilling, will be in studio right here, sitting in Hutton seat, coming up one hour from now to talk about Major League Baseball opening day and a lot of other issues going on with the sport. And speaking of issues going on with the sport, it is opening day in Major League Baseball. So I would like to say congratulations and welcome to the game to one-third of the league that as of today, March 30th, this day and then throughout the month of April and maybe May, this is now the only time you will be relevant the entire year. Why? Because there is a huge pay disparity across the sport. And for the bottom third of the league in salary, there may be some plucky upstart good story that lasts into August or maybe even September. Or maybe even you're the Cleveland Guardians. Can't say Indians anymore. Cleveland Guardians. And you win the division. Probably not. But let's really face it. You have no chance at winning the World Series. This is the biggest issue facing Major League Baseball. Tyler Castle, our resident Guardians fan, he won't show up to a game either, much like the rest of that city. Here's the problem with the sport. The top five or ten teams are the ones with a chance to win. Why? Because they pay an insane amount of money on their salaries with their roster. So to the bottom 10 in Major League Baseball, I'm talking to you Detroit Tigers, Arizona Diamondbacks, Miami Marlins, Washington Nationals, Cleveland Guardians, Kansas City Royals, Cincinnati Reds, Tampa Bay Rays, Pittsburgh Pirates, Hutton's Baltimore Orioles, and the Oakland Athletics. Congratulations, you made it to opening day, and hopefully you have a good month ahead of you because that's it. Because once the calendar turns to May, you're probably going to be out of the pennant race at that point. And your season's going to go downhill. And you're going to be charging subscription fees to get people to come to your stadium to try to watch your team. This is the unfortunate bottom line in a bottom line league in Major League Baseball. And that is where we are with this sport. And I hate it. I wish there was a system that we could create similar to the NFL where everyone is designed by the league rules to basically go 500 or right around there every single year. But that's not baseball. It's very much a game of the haves and the have-nots. And those bottom 10 teams in salary are very much the have-nots of Major League Baseball. And because of that, this is a fun day where hope is renewed, hope springs eternal on opening day in Major League Baseball. But in reality, that hope is going to be gone by the time it gets really hot this summer. And fans of those teams know that, and I hate it for them. I hate it for the sport, but this is the reality of where we are. Speaking of the opposite end of this issue with Major League Baseball, let's go up to Queens 
and the New York Mets, where Steve Cohen is spending at a record rate for baseball. His New York Mets, they've shattered pretty much every record you can in terms of salary this year. And it would have been far worse had they been able to pull off the Carlos Correa signing. That didn't go through. But the Mets are still spending at an astronomical rate, so much so that Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred has even weighed in on Steve Cohen and his spending. And he says, and I quote, the downside is spending at that level, particularly at a level that kind of steps away from everybody else, emphasizes a problem that baseball, since I started in 1987, has grappled with. And that is the disparity in the revenues that are generated in our markets produces a challenge in terms of competitive balance. This coming from Rob Manfred. Look, yeah, duh. We've known this has been a problem for a while, but I can't sit here and get mad at Steve Cohen. He's a disruptor. Disruptors in every industry have come along, and they've completely shaken things up. And typically, they cause change because they succeed at a high level. Now, and we'll talk to Kurt Schilling about this, the New York Mets aren't off to a great start. Edwin Diaz, their closer, injured. Justin Verlander injured on the DL also. We'll talk to Kurt Schilling about that. But if Steve Cohen comes in, spends this much, has a ton of success right off the bat, let's say wins the World Series this year with the Mets, let's say they continue to spend that much more than every other team in Major League Baseball, that much more than second place, which, by the way, that disparity right now between one and two, the Mets are spending 335, almost 336 million on their team. The Yankees are spending 268 million. That is a wide gap. If the gap is equally as wide in wins and World Series with Steve Cohen, this will be a disruption that causes change for the good for Major League Baseball. I, I truly believe that. I'm not mad at Steve Cohen. The man has billions. He wants to spend some of those billions on helping his team that he owns win at a high level. This is far better than the alternative, which is owners of smaller market teams that will cry poverty and not spend at a high level because they want to make as much profit as possible. So more power to Steve Cohen, and hopefully Steve Cohen with this record spending leads to some good changes within Major League Baseball. And hey, for those bottom 10 teams I mentioned here on opening day, that really aren't going to have much of a chance outside of the next month or two. Hopefully that leads to better things for them as well. Also, Nick Saban today, now the highest paid coach once again, passing Dabo Sweeney second, Kirby Smart third, all making $11 million in change per year. Nick Saban, you know, watching the first episode of Succession, I thought about this because there's this bidding scene where they're going back and forth and the kids are bidding on uh, a property, a media property, against their father. The father wants to spend $6.5 billion. The kids don't know what they're, they're trying to spend in the bid. But they say, let's just close the competition and say $10 million. $10 billion for the property, let's say. I feel like Nick Saban could probably do the same. If there was a silent bidding process between Alabama and anyone else, I know this isn't reality and won't happen. But someone could just come off the top rope and say, you know, Let's just make an offer that will end all conversations and say $15 million per year for Nick Saban. And if someone gave him that, he would be worth every penny of it. That's how great Nick Saban is. That's how great Nick Saban has been at Alabama. Worth every penny. Also worth every penny, Trey Wallace. 
senior SEC writer for OutKick, OutKick.com, does a terrific job. Trey is on with us right now. Trey, you're not, you know, getting paid Nick Saban money, but whatever you're getting paid, I feel like you're you're worth every cent of it. Thank you for hopping on. No, I I, I re I look, man. I, I'm I'm open to contract negotiations, Chad. Isn't that how we do it in our business, buddy? Look, we'll, I, we'll see. How I would love a side hustle so I, I can be your agent or anyone else. Probably a conflict of interest since I'm employed by the same company, but. Happy to That's represent not- you in your next negotiation as long as you give me a percentage. No no Lamar Jackson deals, right? Don't represent yourself okay. like Lamar. We see the pitfalls with that, Trey. So let me rep you, and then we can both make money together. Sound good? Look, I'll give you 4%. Uh, it's coming up soon, and, and I can use you. So that, that'll work. So we'll, we'll all make money. And by the way, you brought up succession. I, 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 I didn't get into it at first. Like I couldn't, uh, for some reason I didn't start watching it. I was like, oh, okay, this show, bro, I have watched seven episodes now and I'm hooked. Like I'm, I'm hooked. Like now I just want to watch all the seasons now. If I can, it only gets better. And it's one of the rare shows. I think that it started slower than the way it gets going. Like the premiere did not hook me. And then two, three episodes in like episode two was better than episode one. Episode three, episode the, and then by the end of the season, Trey, when you get to the first season finale, you'll be all in. It's it's one of the more well written shows of the last ten to twenty years. I I love it. I'll be watching every Sunday night. I'll also be watching every uh, Congress subcommittee hearing on NIL. So yesterday you had the House subcommittee on Energy and Commerce meet with some representatives, and what bothers me about this, Trey, is it's not the right representatives. If you're really going to get a full sense of what's going on in NIL, it's not the commissioner of the Patriot League that's going to give you that. It's not the athletic director at Washington State. It's not a former player that's going to give you a good sense of what's going on. What do you think is the biggest error with the Congress, with the NCAA, with everyone, just in regards to how we can figure this out at a government a governmental level? First of all, I mean, I, I think what you saw on Capitol Hill was was more of a show than it was getting anything done. I mean, I, I think that was obvious with, you know, you got congressmen pulling out Florida gator helmets. You got Georgia congressmen throwing on a red jacket and talking like we knew this was going to be a show. We didn't know it would be this crazy. I, I think when you look at where we're heading overall with NIL and where we're heading in regards to government or colleges being involved in this situation, Chad, it, it's kind of simple to me. The federal government does not want to get involved in name, image, and likeness. They would rather this be handled by the universities or the NCAA. And, and we know the NCAA is not going to do it because all they're doing is trying to put out partial guidelines for these universities and collectives to abide by. I, I, I look at overall and you talk about it, the con- you know, you talk about Congress. So when you go in front of Congress, you know, you think you're, okay, we're going up in front of some big lawmakers here and they're going to be able to en- enact some changes. But they went in front of the wrong committee. I mean, what are we doing? Why why go in front of, you know, the, the, the Department of Energy or whatnot? And, and, and it's so small. And, and you have to remember, you know, this isn't the first time. You know, you we remember, I think it was back around this time last year, Greg Sankey and a, a couple different um, uh, members of, of the Power Five conferences went to Washington, tried to sit down and, and speak with different lawmakers about what they could do with NIL. And, and here's where I've come to terms with it after talking with multiple people about this over the last six to seven months is it's getting to a point now 
where they're hoping the universities take over, meaning they have all of this in-house. So whatever a player is is making through NIL, you know, that would potentially go through, let's just say, the University of Alabama. You've seen them launch their own type of collective space. Georgia's doing the same. Clemson's doing the same. And it's going to come down to, Chad, is if these universities are the ones that can step up and handle all of what it entails. Now, that's where it gets a little slippery, because if you've got universities handling the money that they're paying the players, if we get past the quarterback and the star running back and a star defensive tackle, we're getting into some muddy waters here, Chad. So I, I think what you saw out of Congress, it was more of a show because they don't want to get involved in it. And as much as they can try to get lawmakers to try to, let's just say, set some kind of federal government law when it comes to NIL, okay, where it can be it can be broken down by the states. I mean, I I, I look at this and think right now that the NCAA has been a joke. They'll continue to be a joke. And I think right now a lot of the pressure is being put on the collectives and the NCAA to say, hey, universities, what do you guys think about handling this stuff inside your own building, setting up an NIL wing, and we go from there? I, I think it's a slippery slope, Chad. Well, and uh, I read a great piece on, on three sports that was sort of breaking it down by percentage of what Power 5 athletic programs make <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's yep. the percentage of it. Forty-one percent, you know, the of the expenses go to staff, coaching staff, everything else. Eleven percent go to players, and that's including scholarships, things they get for free, gear, all, all of those things. I think the value of the scholarship is something we're going to have to really look at, Trey, because we've seen this. There are a lot of colleges that are in trouble financially right now. Those scholarships are worth something. So how you compound the scholarship cost? With let's say it gets closer to 30% to 25%. So let's say the players are now getting 25 to 35% of revenue coming in for college sports. Now we're getting into a level of how do you distribute it to what sports? Is that going to affect women's sports, Title IX, any other sports that don't turn a profit? You're going to have to have a salary cap manager for every football and basketball program to a lot a certain amount to each recruit because you only have so much of a percentage of revenue you're making. It just, it feel like every door we open leads to another door and we don't know the key or the combination to the lock of that door. Chad, I mean, there was a situation and it started, I want to say two years ago. And I remember asking the question to a couple of schools. Um, they started giving out academic bonuses. This was not something that they were allowed to do in previous years, but the money could have gotten up to like eight grand per semester for a player. And that's just for, <clears throat> excuse me, going to class, making good grades, sitting in front. I had one coach tell me that they could give an academic bonus to a player for sitting in the first row of class. Think about that. So you're talking about if we're trying to enact something like that, and now you're trying to bring NIL which is a whole different ballgame. We're talking about paying players their worth, but also you have to go out and market yourself around the country, locally, and, and you look at the percentages, there's going to have to be a breakdown, Chad. There's going to have to be more than that percentage that you were just talking about that is allocated to these student-athletes. And if not, that's where the problem lies in because these players 
rightfully so, they're going to be worth more than they they're actually getting. So that's when it's going to become a problem with either the collectives that are out there right now that are handling some of these deals when it comes to the universities handling some of these deals. I mean, if you look at what's a good, uh, look at Bryce Young at, at, at Alabama, look at all the attention and Alabama is a whole different animal, but look at all the attention Bryce Young brought Alabama this past season. Look what Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt did at Tennessee. Look at Stetson Bennett in Georgia and the amount of money. If you had to pay Stetson Bennett, a percentage of the amount of money that the athletic department made over the last two years, besides the defense, what what was the number one topic? It was Stetson Bennett every single game. So they're going to have to figure out ways to break down that percentage to be able to pay these players. And that's why Congress is like, hey, we're good. You guys go handle it in-house if you can. We don't want to set up a law that they have to go by, and then states are going to appeal it and whatnot. We've got a long road ahead of us, Chad, and I don't think they have anything right now to go off of. So I'm glad you mentioned Stetson Bennett. Now, a year ago, Georgia had Stetson Bennett returning. Alabama had Bryce Young returning. Not the case this year, Trey. Quarterback battles at both schools. What are you hearing about the situation at both Georgia and Alabama? Yeah, so we'll start off at, with, with Georgia since it, that Stetson Bennett has moved on. Uh, look. Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, two quarterbacks that have hell of arms, uh, can get outside the pocket a little bit better than Stetson Bennett, but Stetson showed some moves too. But you look at that quarterback situation, and you've had guys that have been able to sit back, learn the system. Now, they don't have Todd Monken anymore. Okay, that's fine. But it's going to pretty much be the same offense. These two quarterbacks, Chad, I think they're going to be just fine for Georgia. I think that Georgia could be even better. Um, they can run a little bit differential offense than they were running under Stetson Bennett, maybe not having to rely so much on the on the running game. So I, I think Georgia is in really good hands. Like I, I think they have who they want. It's going to be either Carson or Brock. Now, it's interesting in Tuscaloosa. You've got Jalen Milrow, who we all got a little preview of Jalen Milrow, just a little bit. It was bad circumstances. Uh, it was in that, you know, remember the Arkansas game? Uh, so there were some throws that were off and whatnot. His running capabilities are there and scrambling. And then you got old Ty Simpson. And Ty Simpson sat there this past year. He was learning what that offense was going to be. And by the way, just because you change offenses at Alabama doesn't mean you're changing the system. Uh, uh, Reese is going to run the same thing at Alabama as Bill O'Brien was. He's just going to have a little, maybe a little wrinkle to it. It's whatever Nick Saban wants. So you look at a player like Ty Simpson, who can throw the football. Uh, he's gotten bigger during his time in Tuscaloosa, and his ability to look down the field. I had a coach tell me the other day that his his ability to sit back in the pocket and throw it fifty yards it looks like it's with ease, and and he's got a good connection with his receivers, the guys that have been around. Jalen Milrow, they're just two type, different types of quarterbacks, and I think that's where they're going to, you know, Tom and Reese and, and Nick Saban, they're going to have to make a decision. How do we want this offense to run next season? And I think both are good options. I, I think that in the long run, it's probably going to be Type Simpson at quarterback at Alabama. But don't put it past, you know, Jalen Milrow so far has had a great offseason from talking with folks down there in the room, studying the books, doing what he was supposed to do uh, as quarterback. And he was thrown into the fire last year, and I think that can go a long way. So it, it's an interesting quarterback battle going on in Tuscaloosa. And, you know, Chad, the last thing I'll say about that, 
it's crazy to think that we're having to move on from Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young, two names that were just you just set them and you're like, okay, we we know what we're getting. Like celebrity QBs in college right? for sure. That's, that's exactly what it was, and the fact that we're we're transitioning into a new day in the Southeastern Conference. No more Will Levis. No more Hendon Hooker. Anthony Richardson's gone. Bryce Young. Uh, you know, the, the Stetson Bennett. I mean, the list goes on. So it, it's going to look like a whole new conference next year with some guys as the faces. Quickly, Trey, I'm taking Miami. Who's your pick to win it all in Houston? Uh, Florida Atlantic. I think Florida Atlantic is going to finish this thing off. I, I know UConn looked good. I get that. But there is something about this Florida Atlantic team uh, that drives me crazy watching them. But I think this is a squad that that can finish the job. This is not like any other Cinderella or any other nine seed. I, I think they were, you know, underseeded to begin with. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I think the Owls get it done. Dusty May. And uh, look, everybody's complaining and bitching about, you know, the games. You'll be watching Saturday night. You'll be watching Monday night. So just go ahead and prepare yourself for it. Something about those FAU Owls. Something about Trey Wallace and his coverage at Outkick.com. You can read him there every single day. Trey, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again next week. Chad, have a good one, brother. I appreciate it. It's Trey Wallace, senior SEC writer for Outkick.com. We'll take a break, and when we come back, John McClain of Gallery Sports talking NFL owners' meetings, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, everything NFL. When we come back, this is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Welcome back. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here on your radio network of choice, or if you're watching online. I'm Chad Withrow, Jonathan Hutton, off to a charity event. Kurt Schilling will join me in studio coming up in 30 minutes to talk Major League Baseball opening day. But right now, it's John McClain. He can talk Major League Baseball. He can talk about the Houston Astros. He can talk Final Four. He can talk movies. He's a man who can talk about anything, but we have him on mostly to talk NFL because he's been covering the league for years and years, and he was at the NFL owners' meetings in Arizona. John is on with us right now. John, how are you? I'm doing great, John. Like, how are you? How was the NFL owners' meeting experience this year compared to every other year you've attended this event? I started covering this event, I think, in 1985, and it is the only NFL event where everything is totally relaxed. You're coming off the combine, everybody's butts are so tight, and then you go from this to the draft, and they're even tighter. But at this league meeting, and they rotate it from resorts. When I started Chadlack, it rotated from Maui to uh, Palm Springs, and then Orlando, a resort, and uh, 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 and then the Arizona Biltmore. And Arizona Biltmore is the only one we still go to from that foursome. But I milked several trips to Hawaii uh, covering the NFL meetings. And uh, I like it because you get time with the coaches, of course, at their breakfasts. But you can walk around and see owners, stop and talk to them, uh, unless they're just jerks. And you see general managers. It's just it's a, it's a great thing to go to. Everybody that goes – gets a lot of material. 
And uh, I just got back today, and I hated to leave. But I had to come home to the Final Four and start the Astros season to see if the Astros can be the first team to repeat since the New York Yankees in 2000. So the talk of the, at least on, on our end, the, the talk of this owners meeting was the Washington Commanders and their eventual sale. What what was the chatter around the, what was going on there, John? And what do you think when you hear the possibility of six to six and a half billion dollars for the sale of this Commanders team? The two topics that dominated conversations had nothing to do with these league meetings. There was nothing about the commanders on the agenda, but as you can imagine, a lot of people talked about it. I hate to see maybe the worst owner in NFL history get rewarded for his ineptness. Daniel Snyder originally wanted $7 billion. Tillman Fertitta, who owns Rockets, lives in Houston, bid 5.5. The other two groups, supposedly, according to reports, have bid six, and there is another report, and Pro Football Talk wrote about this today, that says those bids are not they're not real. And some of it might be funny money. The problem is you got to be 30% liquid, and you can only borrow up to a billion dollars to toward your sale price. And that's hard when we're talking about six billion dollars. And I don't care how many people you have in your group, like the Mitchell Rails, Josh Harris. Magic Johnson, now RG3 says he might be part of that group. Stephen Apple, whatever, from Toronto. <laughs> the Greek He's name, yes. Be, yeah, by himself. And uh, Tillman Fertitta's by himself. But he's got to decide what's real and what's not. They would like to have it done by the meetings in Minneapolis in late May. I don't know that they will, but they hope to be much further down this road. Bottom line is, the commanders are going to be sold, and whoever buys them immediately is going to be the most popular owner in the NFL. And and for Roger Goodell, the other owners, everybody would love to see Dan Snyder and his co- continual embarrassment of the league because of all the sexual misconduct investigation and the charges that he's manipulated money that should have been going to the league and other teams. They want him gone, gone, gone. So, John, it's the easy answer here is anyone but Daniel Snyder will be fine, especially with that amount of money. But this Josh Harris group, as an example, we know that it's an exclusive club with NFL ownership. Is there one owner, majority stake owner, or group of owners that the other owners prefer over the others? Or is everyone that we've heard mentioned in this story – are they all okay to the other 31 owners in the league? I've never heard of the guy from Toronto before. And one reason multi-billionaires want to buy teams is they need the ego massage. Tillman Fertitta and his restaurant empire and his gambling casinos in Vegas and Louisiana, you know, he's only worth $8 billion. Josh Harris, who's the primary owner of the 76ers and the Devils, and his group tried to get the Broncos and lost out to Robin. Walton, the Walmart heir. And uh, and I think because he and Rails are from the district, so it'd be local ownership. They'd be the ones that are preferable. But Dan Snyder was from there. He grew up to be a fan, and people were so fired up when he got the team in 1999. And then from the get-go, he was a disaster as an owner. It's hard to believe he's been doing it since 1999. The league had an owner. They wanted to buy it. 
from the estate of Jack Kent Cooke and his son, John Kent Cooke. And that was Bob McNair. Bob McNair had been vetted by the finance committee. They liked everything about him. There were two or three times they called him, said, are you interested in this team? And, And the only one he said he considered was Washington. But then when, uh, they, he saw that he could get the politicians and the business leaders together here to build a stadium and go after the expansion franchise to replace the Oilers. He said, no, that's my goal. And they got stuck with Snyder. All right, John, I'm going to say this one time. You ready? Steve Apostolopoulos. Steve Apostolopoulos, Apostolopoulos is the Canadian Apostolopoulos. billionaire. That's the, Apostolopoulos. I, I lied. I, I got it. I, I said it twice. You said it perfectly also. So we'll we'll start to say the name correctly from here on out. But we may not have to say his name anymore because it sounds like he's really not going to be in the mix for the Washington Commanders. You know, Chad, Chad liked the one they liked to bet, I believe, is Jeff Bezos. He's got more money than anybody in the country. He's not reclusive. He's a big sports fan. People know him. And there was talk a long time that, that uh, Snyder would not accept bids from him because he owns Washington Post, and the Post has just eviscerated Snyder for years. Well deserved, of course. And uh, but, and a lot of people think that maybe that's just posturing to get Bezos to make a bid of like seven billion or something. He certainly can afford it. And there is a report by AJ Perez of uh, I forgot who he front office for. sports uh, front office sports saying that he will get a chance to bid. So as long as those bids are coming in, this is going to take a while. Well, what's going on with the Seahawks, though, John? Wouldn't that make a ton of sense for Bezos to own uh, the Seattle Seahawks, given his ties to that, that city? It, it would. And uh, when Paul Allen died, he left everything to his sister to give almost all of it away because he's never married, and then to sell the Seahawks. And I'm assuming unless somebody pops up that surprises us, because there are a lot of battles going on behind scenes with teams that have families that they see all these billions and they're getting older and they want the franchises sold so they can go buy a huge jet, huge yacht like Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder. But uh, Seattle would seem to be the one. And maybe that's where indeed he'll end up owning it. But there's something magical about the commanders and the Redskins because they've won multiple Super Bowls. They're in the nation's capital. You get to hobnob with politicians. You get to hobnob with dignitaries from other companies. And you get treated like royalty if indeed you're considered an owner of the people. So we know the suitors for the Washington commanders. We don't fully know the suitors for Lamar Jackson right now. I know that's another key topic at the owners' meetings, John, with you and other media members what are you hearing on Lamar Jackson or the Indianapolis Colts maybe the top option right now for him? <laughs> a lot of teams were asked if they were interested, and most of them said, well, we we consider all options. In other words, they're not. I still think he's going to play on a franchise tag of $32 million, or they're going to get a deal worked out. I still don't understand why he admitted he turned down three years guaranteed for about $40 million a year. And he could have said, I'll sign that, but I don't want to be tagged when it's up. And he'd have been unrestricted when he was 29, just hitting his, you know, his peak years for quarterbacks. But, you know, it's the problem is exacerbated by no agent. You know, his mom was his agent. She can't negotiate. She's not a certified agent. These financial advisors include both of them calling people. They can't 
negotiate NFL, NFL PA put things out about that. I just don't understand why he won't break down and hire an agent. If it wasn't a good idea, almost everybody wouldn't have him. And uh, so I think he's still going to be back to the Ravens unless he comes off his demand that he wants a fully guaranteed contract like Deshaun Watson. John, we know that everything the NFL does is ultimately about money and the bottom line and, and how to make more money. So when you start hearing these proposals for flex scheduling on Thursday night football, I immediately think, well, they're already getting a billion a year from Amazon and Prime Video for that game. Is there some sort of clause where they can manipulate that contract now and if they change it to flex scheduling, can they then charge them more for that Thursday night game? Or is this maybe just something that's being thrown out there now so whenever the game comes back up for bid, they could charge even more for it if there's a flex option on this Thursday night game? It had more to do with the dog games they got last year. That schedule was awful. Now, nobody's for it. Players don't like it. The union doesn't like it. I don't know if Amazon thinks, well, hey, we got a chance to get better games. But, man, what does that do to uh, fans? Are they going to reimburse money? Like, say, the Texans are playing the Titans on a Sunday and people have had their tickets, plane tickets, hotels uh, since since the schedule came out. And all of a sudden, oops, the game's not going to be then. And uh, you're, you know what, out of luck. I think that'd keep a lot of people from going on the road uh, because they could lose that money. Unless the NFL could work some kind of deal that the hotels and the airlines would reimburse it. But it's if they're going to they table it because it met with so much criticism. So, John, when, when Brian Gutenkust says, does it necessarily have to include a first-round pick this year in the deal to give, send Aaron Rodgers to the Jets? Does that make you start thinking, okay, this deal is going to happen sooner rather than later if it doesn't have to include a first-round pick this year? Where do you think this thing goes? When does it end? Obviously, the Packers want a draft choice or two this year, so it's got to be done before the draft. They don't want everything next year. I don't blame the Jets not giving up the 13th overall pick because, you know, Rodgers becomes such a head case. He could retire after one year. Jets may get tired of him after one year because of his idiosyncrasies. And I think what they should do next year, get a two this year, get a two next year that could be a one if he plays. And uh, and maybe they get another pick the year after that, depending on if he plays two years, and if indeed he helps them get to the playoffs or win a Super Bowl. They're going to get it done, and it makes sense that they got to do it by this draft if the Packers want to get something out of it this season. They need more weapons for Jordan Love, who's going to take over. Opening day, John. Astros hosting the White Sox this evening at Minute Maid Park. Are you headed over to the ballpark? I'm not. I'm going to watch it on my big new flat screen TV, which I'm doing right now. I'm I'm channel surfing all the day games. I love day games. I'll tell you an interesting story. The Astros let Hewlett Curiel, their uh, first baseman, go and sign Jose Abreu from the White Sox. White Sox are here for four games. And I heard that Abreu, who doesn't speak English, if he doesn't by now, um, I'm sure a lot of the guys speak through interpreters, but they'll sit there and talk to you in English. They just feel more comfortable. And right after he signed, they had an event for kids there, and he showed up, surprised the Astros. 
And when I was at spring training, they said he showed up every day since he signed and went back to Miami to work out, including spring training. Today, they had a news conference. Of course, there's a lot of interest in Chicago. When he walked in, he looked around this huge crowd, Chadlack, and he went down and shook hands with all the White Sox beat writers who had covered him. I have never, ever in my 51 years of covering sports have seen a, seen a player do that. That's amazing. Hey, John, does Mattress Max sell televisions also? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, with he's this got new all TV kinds hookup? of TVs. That's what I thought. He's got a big... He's got a big room with furniture and monster flat screens. Several times that I've gone out there, either I was I was participating in an event or I was waiting to shoot my weekly video with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. I go in the room and watch ball games on those monster TVs. I want to get a field trip, show field trip uh, to Houston just to go buy something from Mattress Mac and see that you man come by work there. in his store. You come by there. I'll give you a tour, Chad Lake. We better set across, set aside some time. You might want to cash a check. He's got a bank. You might want to have some food. He's got a restaurant, a cafeteria wow. that's really good. You can spend a lot of time at Gallery Furniture. It's like going to a Bucky's. It's going to Mattress Max store. It's exactly. got a little bit of everything. Exactly. Can't wait, John. I'm going to go there. His, his bathrooms are as clean as Bucky's. Potty like a rock star with Mattress Mac and John McClain. I'm going to be buying a big television and shipping it back to Nashville next time I go there, just like John McClain. John McClain with Gallery Sports joins us every week right here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. John, thanks so much. Chad, like, thank you very much. Enjoy opening day. Congrats to your Braves. They may go undefeated. That's right. That's one step down for 162-0. and 0. John, thank you so much. Good luck to your Astros tonight. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. It is time to get weird. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. It is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, live from our 6th and Peabody Studios, downtown Nashville. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton is headed out for a charity event this evening. I'll be joining him a little bit later. Kurt Schilling, great Major League Baseball pitcher, also a part of the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show here at OutKick. He will be joining us in studio coming up in 10 minutes, but every week we're going to get a little weird. It's time for Let's Get Weird with Davey Hudson. Thank you, Jeff. Let's get weird. Let's get weird, guys. Chad, I got three stories for you today. We're going to hit it off at the top. Let's you can't, hit them all, you can't get Let's weird without discussing Kanye West. Kanye West back in the news this time, not for something bad, though, but it's kind of weird in which the route he decided to take on this. But Kanye has decided that he likes Jewish people again, Chad. And you know why that is? Why? Because of Jonah Hill in 21 Jump Street. Wow. Yes, I know. The fact that he decided to post this on Instagram uh, is just as baffling as you might expect. You know, comedy has long been a great unifying force and a force for good, not just in America, but in the world. So if it takes Kanye West watching, which I think is a very underrated film, 21 Jump Street, the reboot of the old TV show with Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill, and he decides that he likes Jewish people more, because of how funny Jonah Hill is in that movie, 
I'm all for it. Comedy brings us together. Everything else wants to divide us. Comedy brings us right to the middle, just like Kanye West. What's next, Davey? Uh, the next story we have, uh, a lot darker turn, but it is something that you might want to keep an eye on if you're in South Africa. But we do have a convicted rapist, Tabo Bester. He has faked his death. That name one more time, please. Thabo Bester. Thabo I, might have, I might have even said it differently the first or the second time. I, I'm, I'm probably messing that up, but I, it doesn't I up, matter. By the way, I grew up with a buddy named Vester. V-E-S-T-E-R. Mm. Okay. How is this one spelled? Uh, T-H-A-B-O. Okay. Kind of like Thabo Cephalosha, but I don't want to throw him into this conversation because obviously this is not a, a very um, yeah, we don't want to do that good conversation to, to have that. But So this guy, this happened over a year ago, but the news just broke yesterday. What has happened is there was a body that was found burnt in his jail cell. He was in prison for rape, murder, uh, sentenced to life plus 75 years, obviously done some shady things uh, in his past. Now, they thought, well, he just burned himself and here's his body, whatever. Well, a year later, they finally get the DNA results back. Turns out he killed somebody in the prison, then burnt that body, managed to escape, and now he is on the lam. Um, it's, it's crazy that he was able to do this and they just now got the results back. The fact that no one else looked more into it. But then I got to looking and South Africa, they've got a lot of issues. And what was crazy. And this I found this did. out. Yeah, I know. It's like, um, it's like, this is probably breaking For news to a lot of know, people. Yeah, South Africa, they've had their issues over the years for sure. So the, part where this jumps to the next level and this was like according to cbs that they put this out he was able to run a fake company where he was scamming people in america it was called 21st century uh group it was just the name of the organization but there's an image and, and you'll see this on the screen where it's him in the suit right here he's got that three-piece suit on this is in what i believe is new york and they are holding a uh big convention shareholders meeting yes well he's like the key speaker that they have and none of the people know this but he's actually doing this in prison like this happened while he was in prison this this picture you're seeing right there people are singing happy birthday to him now obviously he didn't go under the name uh tabo bester for this he was under the name of tom oh gosh i'm gonna screw this one up too uh, i believe it's sesteep but tom sesteep yeah I'm, again, I'm probably, it, probably messing up. If that it one wasn't, up. this is a great story. If it wasn't for not a heartwarming story, but a really fun one, um, if it wasn't for the burning of the other body to escape from prison and this guy just worked his way out of prison, for this level of intuition to set up a fake company and to have these meetings via Zoom from his prison cell, he'd be a great candidate for someone to hire. Had it not been for the burning of the body, and then escaping that way, this this could have been uh, this story could have ended a lot better than it did. Davey, what's yeah, the final story? I, w I will say he's deemed the Facebook rapist, which is like not. Like, I feel also like you could have not a good. Could, it's not could, a yeah. good thing to put in your resume. No, you That's, could come you up with something wanna, better. Like I mean, you want to take that off your resume if you can. Night sure. Stalker always jumped out to me. Uh, yeah. the Milwaukee Cannibal. Anything it's that like, ends with rapist is not something. That's not a nickname you want. That's for sure. And then and then finally, Chad, our, our last story. Uh, this is something that. You will probably respect seeing as you just finished The Last of Us, but according to a medical um, journal that came out of India, we have our first uh, plant fungal infection oh, no. in a human host. So I'll just read this right off of um, the, the New York Post. It'll just be easier. Uh, this one goes out to uh, Brooke Steinberg. But a man in India has caught a plant fungal disease in the world first case of, in a, human, of a human infection. So... 
we just want to be on the lookout. He's a mushroom hunter. So I feel like they should have just went with gatherer. I don't really feel like you hunt mushrooms, but what do I know? Crocodile hunter's nephew, mushroom hunter in this disease. I saw something about this at one point, I think on the Today Show. And they said they even teased. Don't worry, though, people. It's not like Last of Us. The doctor they had on said not to worry. It's not. It doesn't cause you to be a zombie, which everyone we breathe a sigh of relief when that happened. More coming with Kurt Schilling next.